0: It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, set, Just call me Swanee. Tiger Styles. Tiger Styles. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello everyone, Lawton Swan back in the saddle. Once again, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond. A little programming note, we are off all next week and over the next couple of days, we're going to be rocking and rolling with some best of's throughout the program as well. So, Uh, We will get those up and rocking and rolling for you here on the program today. Tim Bure coming up in hour number two as well, though. It'll be a great opportunity for us to talk with him about the 1981 National Championship game and the 2016 National Championship. This, that, and the other with Tim Bure coming up in hour number two. Yesterday on the program, we caught up with Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. But what you may have missed was our interview we had with him a little over a week ago now. We'll reset that one for you here on the show that shakes the Southland. Now, for the people that may not know uh, your name yet, tell them a little bit about your background and and sort of your role in college football and and really scouting and, and recruiting.
2: Well, my background, I was a, a college coach at LSU back years ago, started off, but uh, did some high school coaching the coached at LSU, went to school at LSU, uh, and worked my way up to a, a full-time status there and was recruiting coordinator. Um, then I got into the NFL on Bill Belichick's staff in Cleveland and, um, you know, work with, you know, with Saban and a number of guys and worked on the coaching staff, uh, got into scouting. Uh, I was, uh, I'd done part-time scouting work for one of the NFL scouting arms, Blesto, for years and really had an interest in the personnel side and got moved on that side. Um, then moved on and ran the scouting combine for, um, for a little bit, then moved to Houston, uh, to, um, run the Orler scouting department and then moved to Tennessee when, uh, the organization moved to Tennessee and uh, moved back home to my native uh, state of Louisiana when my parents got uh, ill and um, looked after them and did uh, consulting work and part-time work for different NFL teams and it just grew into a consulting business that has been going on strong for some times. I do work for college programs and NFL teams on uh, evaluating of um, and, and helping to set up. Um, Uh, You know, a a process of grading using my background of, again, running the combine and running NFL scouting organizations to try to help a lot of college programs better evaluate players in recruiting. So I do a lot of seminars with college programs, help them evaluate college players, and then certainly do that in the NFL and involved in the draft, involved in advanced scouting. So everything from evaluating players from the college level level. Down to the high school level, into the college level, into the NFL is what I do. Do a lot of coaching search work as well. That's part of what I do with Landry Football Operations. And then we started a website, landryfootball.com, a few years ago um, when somebody said we needed to provide some of this access to the fans. And so that's the way we started it, and that's what we do. We break down the college game, the pro game uh, from inside the film room from a coaching and scouting perspective. That's what LandryFootball.com is all about. We've got a lot of podcasts that we're involved in, um, and uh, certainly have uh, looking to add some really good people that we're hoping to join us here uh, soon. Um, we break down each conference, you know, we go around the country, we get it all. So that's a that's a long winded answer for where I've been, what I'm doing, and what we're all
0: about. LandryFootball.com on Twitter at LandryFootball. Chris Landry here on the show that shakes the Southland today. And so, Chris, from that standpoint, when you look at, and this is why I really wanted to get you on here today as we uh, get closer and closer to the college football season, uh, just to look at some of those key players on Clemson's roster right now and some of your evaluations of them and, and what you see. So let's start with, obviously, maybe the biggest name in college football, Trevor Lawrence. Just from the physicality standpoint, you don't see quarterbacks that really look the way he looks, and yet can do the things that he's done with his feet and matchups like you saw against Ohio State, breaking off a huge touchdown run in that game. What do you make of a guy like Trevor Lawrence and his you know aspirations for what the future could hold?
2: Well, the the first thing about Trevor it, it certainly jumps out at you is the physical skill set, and I remembered him obviously in high school uh, coming out of Georgia and the first. Real eye-opening because I saw the tape and you see the physical skills. But when I went and um, visited with the coaches, Eric Clemson, that spring, you know, they kept saying, this kid's special. And, and they're not talking physical skills. They're talking about this, his presence, his leadership skills that I thought, you know, they thought this this guy could really take command of the team pretty early. That's a little unusual to be that had that sort of presence with you. And I, and listen, I, you spent a little time and, you know, certainly he's a guy that, that is very impressive, but the people that are coaching him every day uh, that I've known for years, you know, it really, that, that really stood out to me. And I, so I had a feeling going in and I even said it, that, that, that don't be surprised if, you know, while Kelly Bryant will likely start the season Uh, that Dabo is that type of guy that will go in and and, you know that staff's always been the type hey the the next guy up the veteran that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy and he's likely going to be the guy sooner than later so it didn't surprise me that he stepped onto the stage early kind of took command and you know the thing about it is he's still a young guy he's still learning the game Um, and he's got a long way to go I mean he can get a whole lot better which is scary but his physical skills are unique. Um, yes, there's a lot of talent around him, and a lot of the, the production is has been a little bit of, you know, you, you throw into some guys that are going to win 50-50 balls, and he makes a lot of plays. But more impressive than that is how he's becoming a little bit better command of things. You know, last year, some of the tape early, sloppy throws, sloppy footwork. He's learned how to – make the most out of your game you don't always rely on your physical skill set and i think he's learning to do that and i think that's why he's got such a good career um you know beyond this year in the pro game but still in his eyes i know has a lot that he wants to prove you know before he leaves clemson
0: chris landry LandryFootball.com, on the show that shakes the southland clemson sports talk today so so take us back to that national championship game you're there in Louisiana, you know that LSU program. A lot of people put Clemson's loss on, on Trevor Lawrence's shoulders for whatever reason. What what did you see from Lawrence in that game that either, A, maybe uh, concerned you, or, or, B, that you looked at and said, you know what, that's just a young kid that will improve and grow? Well,
2: I think the biggest thing going into that game and during the course of that game was the innate pressure that it puts on your offense to be perfect. Because LSU last year, with a few exceptions, quarter by quarter, game by game, was darn near perfect. They scored an inordinate amount of points. They first half against Florida struggled. Auburn threw some things at them that you know were not quite you know. But but offensively, that offense clicked all year long. So yeah. you go into that game to use the basketball analogy is you just you got to keep up, and I thought what that did is put a lot of pressure on Clemson's offense because, look, they no one had the answer, and they didn't play bad defense at Clemson. They were in position to make plays. LSU's athletes outjumped them, and that's a little bit unusual because Clemson usually out-athletes other people. Even when they don't play their best, they find a way because they've got better athletes. In this case, it wasn't, and Joe Burrow was just sharp as a razor and it, it just put a lot of pressure for the offense to be perfect for Clemson and they weren't and that's no um, look I know for a school that's made it a a, a a history of going to the playoffs and winning their fair share championships that you expected all the time I think they just ran into a buzzsaw whereas Alabama they played in some shootouts but they could rely on other things. I thought LSU did a good job defensively mixing up their looks. I thought they confused Trevor a little bit. And I think because he was forcing it a little bit, because we got to score every time mentality, that's not always the way you tend to force things. And that's part of the maturity that's going to come with playing the game. In other words, if you're playing in another type game, you probably don't try to force it because you're going to live, hey, we'll punt, we'll get it again. In this game, it felt like, my God, if we punt, I mean, we're, we're going to be down again. We're going to be down even more and more. I, I think that creates a lot of, you know, uh, issues and a lot of extra pressure that I thought they just couldn't handle. I, I just thought LSU was better last year. They were just a little bit better than everybody that they played and in some cases a lot better. And in this case, um, they just they just didn't have the answers. It was a really good Clemson team that ran into a buzzsaw. I think it was more about LSU and less about what Clemson didn't do personally.
0: Sort of a twofold question here. Assuming Trevor Lawrence comes out, Chris, in, in your mindset, is he the number one overall draft pick this year after his junior season? And let's take it back a notch. Had he come out this past year, would he have been the number one draft pick over Joe Burrow in your estimation?
2: Think he'll be number one this year? Yes. Um, probably not. Probably the Bengals still take Burrow, but it would have been a discussion. I don't think there was um, there. You know, there were some people in this draft that uh, the uh, teams this year that liked. Herbert and like to I I think that I think Trevor would have been in the mix. But here's the thing about it: it's not just about when the guy's available, but when he's ready. I still think gotcha uh, that Joe Burrow is more ready right now. He's played more ball than Trevor, but I do think Trevor has got more physical skills. So that you know, if you go and talk about this past draft. You know, well then you're really talking about a young Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you're talking about a right. guy that's done. Now I know Joe Burrow doesn't have great numbers, but Joe Burrow's played a lot of football. That means a lot. So it is a little bit apples to oranges comparison, but I do think Trevor would have been in the mix because I, you know, I really do. I mean, I listen. He'd have been in the mix after his freshman year, not <laughs> in the not in the mix to come in and lead our team immediately. But everybody in the league that's quarterback shopping, say, uh, I'll take that kid at Clemson. And if he's a freshman, I'll I'll groom him for a couple of years, you know, or if he's a junior, he's going to be a little closer to being ready. But I don't know that anybody says, nah, I'm I'm not really sold on his game. He's got the goods. It's just a matter of how ready is he. And I think he's going to be more ready after this season than he was after last season and even more than he was two years ago. So that's kind of how I look at it. It's not just about the physical skills. It's about the other things. Listen, Joe Burrow was certainly not a first round pick last year at this time. Not at all. Right. No way. But look at what he did, not only the production, but the growth. And it was really intangible because he's got good physical skills. He doesn't have Trevor Lawrence physical skills, but He's got really advanced football acumen, which I think Trevor can get in time. But you know, Joe Burrow's growing up around the game. His dad's a coach. Joe Burrow had one class last year. He basically lived in the football room, and, and so he and he, he it was a kind of a magical year. But Trevor is gonna be i think potentially great at the next level
0: he spent a lifetime covering football at all levels chris landry here on clemson sports talk today so let's stay with a native from uh, your state louisiana travis etn most people have him pegged as the number one running back in college football he was a former three star maybe a four star depending on where you look and you and I have talked in the past about you know the the rating systems et cetera but from that standpoint, what do you make of this kid and, and what really makes him so special heading into his senior season?
2: well he's first of all he does have talent I think he was a little underrated coming out but what it is is his intangibles he is a high character individual yeah. he is a hard nosed runner. Uh, he runs with great contact balance. He has great vision. He understands, um, you know, blocking schemes. He's patient. He's disciplined as a runner, and those things are a little bit overlooked. I think people understand the intangibles of certain positions. I think they overlooked that at running back. Hey, they just run it. It's just about speed. It's about quickness. He's got those things, but he can set up blocks very well. And that's why he's just gotten better and better and better. And I think he can be dynamic on the next level as a dual threat back in the modern game that can work in the passing game, uh, be bright enough and effective enough to cut block people, be a three down back, be a feature back. Um, you know, how high, You know people always ask me, look, backs, he's one of those backs that can do a lot of things for you. Backs are plentiful and, and it's not that they're devalued, but it's supply and demand, and there are a lot of good backs. I think he's in that elite category among the best backs in college football. Uh, but there are a number of them, so I don't know what that's going to mean for where he's going to go. But right now, he's the best back on my early uh, draft board for 2021.
0: On Twitter at Landry Football, Chris Landry joining us here on the show that shakes the Southland today for just a couple of more minutes, and. Chris, I know Tiger fans are disappointed that Justin Ross won't be able to play this season um, due to uh, an issue that he was just born with. And so from that standpoint, he had healthy surgery last Friday. Uh, He'll be recovering the entire year. There's no determination yet whether he'll even come back for another season at Clemson. He could still decide that he wants to play his next football uh, professionally. But from what you've seen out of Justin Ross in his career, uh, you know, what w- What makes him such a good football player, and what do you expect to happen for him uh, after he kind of gets back to
2: 100%? Size, strength, on-the-ball strength, the ability to go up and, you know, high-point the ball, uh, make plays in traffic. It's all the, all the physical skills that you look for. He's got good speed. I think he's got to learn how to stem his routes a little bit better, but he's... You know, no slouch at that. He's in that elite category of this year. It's where I had him with the in that same grouping with the Jamar Chases, Jalen Waddles, uh, Rondo Moore, produce a different-looking type receiver. Um, but, you know, Jalen's kind of in that mold of the, the guy that's big that can be the X receiver that's going to really command a lot of attention. Um, really feel bad for him. Um, it's a tough situation. I, I worry... Anything spinal, it's just yeah. over my 30 plus years as a scout, anything with backs or necks worry me, just worry me about their future. So I, I did hear everything went well and I'm hoping and praying and I, and I listen, I feel great about, you know, where he's going to be and we'll let the medical things fall as they may. And I'm disappointed for the young man because I think that that's where I saw him and I anticipated him and, you know, I anticipated him having a great season. Now that we got to go down that path where he's not going to play, he will have a decision to make. Probably, if he comes out, you know, there's going to be a, some little question mark about oh he hadn't played all year long, and and you 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 have less exposure to him, meaning he's less less games to evaluate. So it's not that it hurts him as much as it helps the other guys that do have that exposure. So, you know, he's got to decide: does he come back to Clemson? and you know get that production in and then work his way to that next level and get drafted higher or just come out to where as you alluded to the next ball you play you get paid for and you're playing for your second contract and if you get drafted a little bit lower than you would have if you had a great year so what I mean that's the decisions he's going to have to make and it's going to be between him and his family and you know dabble and the rest of them kind of decide what they want but the guys are really an elite talent, and, and it's, there was a, a boatload of receivers in last year's draft, and there's a number of good ones in this year's draft too. Um, he, he'd have been in the mix of of the top, you know, three or four best. I, I don't know where that's going to put him if he doesn't play. You know, probably with the risk reward factor. There'll be some people that will grade him a little bit down medically just out of concern of longevity that could affect his draft status. We just don't know yet. The doctors are out to decide that.
0: LandryFootball.com. Head over there today, check out everything that Chris has got for you. Chris Landry here on the show that shakes the Southland. Chris, looking forward to trying to keep you on during the the Wednesday edition of the program. I know we're a day late this week, but I'd love to have these same conversations, not just about – Guys at Clemson, but guys around the country, buddy. I hope you have a great day. Hey, man! Thanks for having me, lot, and uh, be good again. Really looking forward to Chris Landry being a part of the program for a long time, and we're going to try to slide him in on Wednesdays from now on. Stay with us. Come on. Today's Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan with you. We've got our full interview that we did with Bob Gillespie earlier this summer over on our website, but here's a snippet of that interview for you on the show that shakes the Southland. Well, another thing you brought up, Bob, is Bamberg Earhart and their baseball tradition. A lot of people in the Midlands mm-hmm. may not realize this, but Coach Horton won, I think, what, 14 state titles down there? and Yeah,
3: well, Dave Horton's one of the legendary guys and just just a great human being. In fact, one of my... You know, everybody, every writer who's done this for any length of time has a few of these uh, stories that are just a little quirky. And um, mine with Dave Orton was I had just taken the job at the paper and I really did not know, you know, having been gone to college and all, I really didn't know what the sports scene was like in Orangeburg. So this is 76, I guess. And i just taken a little sports editor's job and the sports editor was essentially the sports department. It was you and you, Yeah, you know, you, you wrote stories, <laughs> you laid out pages, you did it all. So, so this is, you know, uh, mid to late spring. And I'm sitting in the office one day and the phone rings and this irate lady, very nice, but irate calls up and said, how come the times and Democrat is not covering the Bamberger Earhart Red Raiders baseball team. They are going for there. And I don't know what it was at that time, you know, fifth or sixth straight title. I think, I think they won eight in a row at one stretch, and like you said, fourteen total. And how come you're not down there? And I said, Well, man, you'll have to forgive me. I said I just took this job, and I didn't. I was not aware of this, but uh, I appreciate you letting me know, and I will definitely be down there. And they were playing somebody in the state title game. I think it was game two of a three-game series, and they ended up winning it and winning it in two games. So I get him a car, and I drive down to Bamberg and park, and walking across.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky
4: just about anywhere.
3: Over there, old, little older guy in you know the full uniform and cleats and everything, and he's talking to players and he's got a got a lineup card in his hand and all that stuff. I said, okay, that must be the coach. And so I'm walking along as I walk, guy. There's this skinny guy wearing an old beat up pair of khaki jeans and a t-shirt, and he's got a pipe in his mouth and a really one of the oldest nastiest hamburger baseball caps I had ever seen on his head, and he's sweeping, you know, sweeping the infield, just kind of cleaning up the infield. So I walk by and I nod at him, and he smiles and nods at me, and I walk on past and get to the dugout and go to the guy that I figure is the coach and say, "Coach Horton, I'm Bob Gillespie, I'm the new sports editor at the Times Democrat, and I just came down here to cover your game." And the guy said, "Well, we really appreciate you coming down here, but I'm not Coach Horton. That's him out there with the uh, with the broom in his hand." <laughs> and I turn around and look, and the guy's just smiling like he knew he knew what had happened. He knew I didn't know who he was or anything. But we later became, you know, pretty good friends. I did a number of stories on him for, the, you know, obviously game stories for the Arnsberg paper. And then later, uh, when he was starting to wind down his career, I did a couple of longer stories just about his life with, as you mentioned, Mookie and Preston and, and all the other, you know, the eight million Wilsons that played baseball at Bamberg Earhart at one time or another. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, his wife... Um, Whose name has just escaped me, unfortunately. But the joke was that uh, you know they needed Dave to run the baseball team, but she ran the programs. So she did all the lineups. She called in the games. She made sure the kids got fed. I mean, you know, all that sort of thing. And it was really a family operation down there at Bamberg Earhart. And uh, I I haven't seen Coach Horton in quite some time, but uh, I understand he's still around and still you know doing pretty well and following things. So. So those are kind of people that you you know you just kind of look back and say you know those people you know those people help make it special and you now not only in their programs but in my life too. You would have covered Clemson and South Carolina in the rivalry. What are some
0: great memories, I guess, through the years of of games or storylines that you've kind of covered from that standpoint?
3: Yeah, well, I came to the record in August of '79, and that was just about the time that South Carolina people were discovering this guy named George Rogers. In fact, it, it's funny. One of the first stories I ever did for the record, uh, you know, I'd followed, I'd been at the Charleston paper, so I knew about South Carolina, but, you know, but back then it was Rogers and Johnny Wright. They were kind of a tandem and Rogers looked more like the fullback and Wright looked more like the tailback. Uh, but Carlin was getting ready to go to a one back offense. And although he never, he did not say it publicly until later, he knew Rogers was a better player. Wright was a good player, but he was—he did not have the, the kind of dyna, dynam dynamism, whatever the word is. He wasn't the kind of player that Rogers could be and would be. Um, so anyway, but they went into spring or fall ball um, ostensibly, you know, fairly even, and then Wright suffered a knee injury, and Rogers got the starting job, and of course never let it go, and ended up winning the Heisman the year, you know, his senior year in 1980. Right. Um, so. So i was around for some of that i got to know carlin pretty well interestingly enough this is probably before your time jim carlin was not an easy guy to deal with for the media he liked some writers but even then it was kind of arm's length and that sort of thing and he and i actually got to be i won't say we were friends until later but at the time we were friendly he seemed to like me for some unknown reason maybe i was young and a fresh face and you know, he had already made up his mind about some of the veterans that were at the state and the record and stuff. So, so we generally got along reasonably well for the, uh, what would that be? I guess three years, uh, he coached before they fired him after the 81 season. So he was a big deal. And of course, this young guy, I can still remember, uh, being in Charleston in 78, I guess it was. And the new coach at Clemson guy named Danny Ford, uh, was in town to speak and nobody really knew that much about him. Of course, you know, he, stepped in when Charlie Pell took the job to Florida at the last right. minute and won that bowl game. I mean, of course, you know, he stepped in when Charlie Pell took the job to Florida at the last right. minute and won that bowl game against Ohio State. Everybody knows the Charlie Ballman story, I'm sure. So I can remember um, Danny was coming to town, and so they said, "We well, need you to go over and interview this guy. Okay, And, I mean, it was literally this guy, this guy, Danny Ford, who <laughs> was the new coach at Clemson. Nobody knew much about him. So I can still vividly recall he was speaking at some thing that evening, and so they had set up for me to go talk to him beforehand. And so I walked into this room. They had him set up with a table and a couple of chairs and sat down, and introduced myself. And we started talking and I couldn't give you anything specific. I remember walking out of there and I said, this guy's got no chance to make it. He can't put two words together. He just, you know, he can't talk. He's just an old country boy from Alabama. And you doesn't know what he's saying or, yeah, I hope he knows more about football than he does about talking to the media. Well, of course we know how that turned out. Uh, not only did he, Become a great football coach, but he, Danny, became one of the great communicators as coaches. And to this day, um, you know, Danny you know, an interview with Danny is just a blast because you just, you know, Danny will say what Danny thinks. Uh, he doesn't nowadays, especially. He doesn't care what anybody thinks, uh, whether he's right or wrong. And uh, and he's you know he he's he's become an icon in this state. Uh, he is possibly in the world of football. Probably Danny is number one right now. I mean, you know, Dabo Swinney, obviously is number one in active coaches, but among historic figures, I'd say Danny has to be probably the number one guy. South Carolina's problem, of course, was that they never kept anybody long enough for them to become an icon. Uh, maybe, uh, well, Spurrier would be the exception, but of course that's years and years after I got started. Um, so anyhow, but yeah, I still enjoy conversations with Danny, which I'd say most people do.
0: A quick break. We come back with more from our interview with Bob Gillespie. Yeah, Bob was fantastic that afternoon, and we got just a little bit more of that coming up for you here on the show, The Shakes of Southland. The show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk on a Thursday afternoon. Again, programming note. We'll try to remind you this over the next two days. We are off all next week, and we'll be re-racking some uh, good stuff for you here on the show over the next day or two, including live interviews as well. But we were listening to Bob Gillespie before the break, and this full article or this full audio is over on our website right now. Go check it out, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, after the program, and let us know what you think. But here's another little snippet uh, from that interview. I've got to imagine that looking back on it, uh, Joe Morrison's career in Columbia is one that they really wonder what if and, and what would have happened uh, had he not passed away. Uh, I remember that day vividly. Uh, where do you think this program would be had Joe Morrison not died just after playing a racquetball game over it? uh, the Saul Block PE center. I think about, you know, his tragic passing while still coaching and, you know, maybe what that did to the program, so to speak. I mean, we've seen things like skip Prosser Mm -hmm. at at wake forest. How do you think that moment when he passed away affected the future of South Carolina football?
3: Well, that's a, that's a good question. And the answer basically is nobody really knows. Um, there was already problems going on. Obviously, you remember that um, the steroid scandal, Sports sure. Illustrated, broke uh, after the, um, I guess, the 88 season. And uh, and Joe was kind of keeping a low profile, not saying very much, and his assistant coaches were out basically denying things, which they later some of them would admit to in court because they were you know, being brought up on charges. Um, but Joe was, you know, it, it was kind of strange. And, of course, uh, at that point, Bob Markham, I believe, Markham was already gone as the AD because he took a fall for that too. But Joe was still kind of there, you know, and Joe was an icon too, you know, in a, in a more um, immediate sense. And so would he have survived? And that, and I mean, not literally, but would he have survived as coach? Because the more that came out about steroids and what the coaches knew and what they had done and how basically corrupt the program was, um, I don't know that he would have survived at the end, but we will never know. He died, you know, as somebody once said, and I don't mean this harshly, but they said Joe Morrison dying was the best thing that ever happened to King Dixon because he didn't have to fire him. He could just say, well, sorry, he's gone. We're going to get a new coach. And of course, mm-hmm. they went out and hired Sparky Woods. So, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of speculation over the years as to what, you know, could Joe have survived as coach here. Um, my feeling is that, um, I just, yeah, I, I really don't know. I'll be honest with you. At the time, I would have probably told you, well, you know, he's such a big deal. But then this is a national scandal. I mean, this was all over the all over the TV and all over newspapers and everything for months and months. And um, you know, ironically, of course, um, I think it was four coaches who were charged ultimately. None, you know, he was never charged. Of course, by the time they got to that point, I believe he had already passed away. And three of the coaches ended up pleading guilty. And one coach, Tom Gadd, their uh, one time defensive coordinator, decided, nope, I'm going to trial and he got off. And I remember talking to some of the other coaches and they go, Well dang, if I'd known that I'd have gone to trial too. <laughs> so even though they you know, but even though it happened, now Gad was kind of Gad was a pretty straight arrow in my recollections. And, you know, I, my thinking is maybe either he didn't know what some of the young the younger farther down the food chain assistants were doing with the stuff or he didn't want to know, or it was like, you know, I don't need to know. And and Joe seemed to take that sort of like, look, you guys just do what you got to do. I don't need to know about it. You know, that kind of, what they call it? A uh, couple, um, deny, you know, couple right, right. deniability, I believe. And, um, so I don't know. Um, you know, it might've been that, um, because again, they were still fairly successful. They'd come off 2 eight win seasons and two bowl games when all this broke in 88. So, and Todd Ellis was, um, you know, a young quarterback. They were expecting great things out of him uh, going into his junior and senior seasons. So, you don't know. Um, they might have been a, he might have been able to weather the storm. Just you know, just you know, fire I mean, do like a lot of them do. You know, fire a bunch of assistant coaches and bring in some new supposedly squeaky clean assistants and uh, and ride on. Step into the world of power loyalty.
1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
5: VGW Group. No
2: purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Ride it out. I
3: don't know. And we'll Well, never know.
0: Well, and I think about, and maybe this is the, the biggest thing about his legacy, Morrison's legacy at South Carolina for me were, the changes that he brought in, and even as a, a young kid growing up, a Clemson guy, you knew about the, the fire ant defense. You knew about the black mm-hmm. jerseys. You knew about those things. There, w- th- And I think when you can do that in a program, create sort of a new culture, I think you see that at Clemson with Dabo Sweeney. I think that's what's the most intriguing part of what Morrison was doing mm-hmm. at South Carolina to me is that there, there was a, an excitement – and a freshness and, 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 you know, something different felt like it was brewing when I was a kid.
3: Yeah, I would agree with you a hundred percent. And in that sense, and not just Morrison, but really his staff, because a lot of those things that came about the fire ants, the black uniforms, you know, black magic and all this stuff. Some of that didn't come so much from Joe, although Joe didn't, you know, Joe signed off on it, but it was young guy, you know, again, it was Jim Washburn and Tom Gad and Tom McMahon and, Uh, just, you know, a bunch of other ones, Uh, Tank Black before his fall from grace. Um, And um, they were ahead of the game because you think about it, nowadays coaches want to build a brand. They want something that they can say, this is South Carolina football. This is Clemson football. This is Notre Dame football, whatever. And these guys were ahead of the game. They realized that, you know, Jim Carlin, the predecessor, and then Richard Bell for one season had been just kind of old school coaches, you know yeah uniforms we're going to wear the red Yeah, you know, we're going to wear the same uniform we wore last year we're going to wear the same uniform that on the road that we wore last year and you know, nothing they weren't concerned about stuff like that and morrison wanted to kind of you know either morrison or the assistants they wanted to put their own stamp on things so that's when they started emphasizing the black uniforms and the all all garnet uniforms and the whole fire ants thing and uh, you know there are a million stories even 2001 um yeah what's, what's the old joke about uh about how many thousands of people were there to see um, uh, Gene Sarazan make the double eagle at the Masters. Well, I don't know how many people say that they were responsible for 2001. I've heard at least three or four <laughs> that I know of, including a couple of assistant coaches. And Tommy Suggs, who still does you know, the color for the radio broadcast, says that, he, um, that the, the whole 2001 thing was his idea. And maybe it was. I don't know. Every, there have been a lot of people who took credit for that. So there you go,
0: a little, uh, a little sneaky good interview with Bob Gillespie here on the show that shakes the Southland. That full interview is over on our website, and we he, he talks about his relationship with Dabo Sweeney and and what that was like getting to know him, and and really you know Bob's such a legend. It was all it was awesome catching up with him, and we've had some really good interviews this summer, and as we head into a vacation, I thought we'd celebrate some of those with you here on the show that shakes the Southland. When we get back there. Appears to be a new attraction in Tigertown, and I am all about it. I'll tell you what it is when we get back with more on the show that shakes the Southland. It is Clemson Sports Talk. Check out the website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan on a Thursday. Tim Beret coming up and a special guest a little later in the program as well. Uh, looking forward to jumping on in with that or jumping on that with you on Twitter at Clemson Sports. Don't forget, we're going to have our first giveaway of the summer over on our Facebook page. Yeah, take a look at that if you're watching the show. Ooh-wee. If you're not watching the show, go watch the show later. <laughs> Share it. Tell your friends about it. oh uh, Yeah, so we got a lot to talk about here. Because I have a policy in place that you all are very well aware. You know, on June 1st, I said we're having football. And so I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with my guns that we're having football. But I got to tell you, Dr. Anthony Fauci is not feeling it. Yeah, not feeling it. And I I don't know. I'm not trying to be the, oh, hey, we're not going to have a college football season guy in the middle of my month where I'm saying we're having it. But Dr. Fauci essentially feels like it's, you know, the odds that it happens are not good. So from that standpoint, the major difference here is uh, I am a guy that just plays a doctor on the radio <laughs> once a month to tell you his theory, and uh, Anthony Fauci's a big name in the uh, viral business. So, I, you know, I, I'm frustrated because of uh, his comments, not because I think he's wrong, but It just takes a little bit of air out of my tire. He said, unless players are essentially in a bubble insulated from the community and they are tested nearly every day, it would be very hard to see how football is able to be played this fall. He said, if there is a second wave, which is certainly a possibility and which would be complicated by the predictable flu season, football may not happen this year. Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Seems like a guy that probably knows more about it than the host of the show, The Shakes of Southland. So with that news coming out today, man, I, you know, it's, it, I'll tell you what this feels like. This feels like if you were a child and you were working up for your big birthday, couldn't wait, you know what's coming? It's looming and then all of a sudden everything you thought was going to happen falls through that's that's where i that's how i kind of feel right now my heart's a little hurt more than anything and then uh, you see schools and look it's predictable that schools are going to have uh, some cases of covid-19 you know and Clemson just had two on the football team But there are other programs out there, like Kansas State, who confirmed that eight of their student-athletes have tested positive for COVID-19. And if you start to see numbers like this continuing at schools across the country, it's going to be hard enough to rein it in just to get ready for the year. And again, these student-athletes aren't in the high-risk category. Children... Aren't in the the high risk category, but what so where this is unique is while children aren't in the high risk category, right? The players collegiately, they're high risk to their parents, meaning their parents don't want their child to potentially be one of the small amount. So that's that's something that you gotta you gotta recognize. We're talking about a situation where, yeah, they might be in the minimal risk category, but when you recognize or when you focus on what that child means to that parent or that family, you're now talking about a scenario where, yeah, it is a you know, a high risk issue, so to speak, from the standpoint of the self and and this should, this should not be a quote unquote selfish word, but you know selfishly. Like as a parent, my kids may not be in the high risk category nationally, but they're in the high risk category for me because I certainly don't want to see them become one of those small numbers of kids who are affected by this or kids who die from this. Just like these student athletes, same thing and so it it really begins to to push forward that narrative of what is the, the what is it worth and again that teeter totter between health and a functional a functional economy are two things that i think are going to continue to go back and forth until there is either a better preventative treatments or B, there is a vaccine that either minimizes the effects or, you know, essentially does similarly to what the flu shot does, which is not always prevented, but minimizes the numbers. And until then, I think these tough conversations that we don't want to hear as sports fans are going to keep cropping up. And popping up everywhere. That you turn. The good news is. There's still a long time for the college, before the, the college football season. The bad news is. The, t- the things that you. That Dr. Fauci said today. In the numbers of COVID cases. In the state of South Carolina. Nearly a thousand today. Again. Death rates are something to monitor. But. There becomes a a point where slowing it down again becomes exceedingly more difficult. And I, you know, I don't know when or where or how you know we might hit that mark. I wish I could snap my fingers and go away and we'd just get ready for college football season, but I can't. And hearing Dr. Fauci today say that. I'm just thankful I've got another couple of weeks until I have to make my next prediction on what we're going to do with college football. Tim Beret joins the show in hour number two. Stay with us. Step into the
1: world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
0: It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, sit. Just call me Swanny. <laughs> Is our number two. That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk. Legendary Clemson SID. Tim Beret coming up here on the program to join us. We'll talk with him about a little bit of everything going on from the past in Tigertown to the present. Uh, Tim Beret's on Twitter at Tim Beret. Make sure you go over there and follow him. And again, our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. On Twitter at Clemson Sports. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Come hang out and be a part of things. But without further ado, out to the guest line we go. Tim Beret. Tim, welcome back into the program on another Thursday afternoon. Just getting ready for a beautiful weekend. But I'll tell you what, the weather might be the storyline right now in the state of South Carolina. It's just been beautiful. It almost feels like we're, we're preparing for college football season. I know. I feel like
4: I could be in uh, Connecticut, actually. I've I got a thing <laughs> on my phone that compares the temperatures between I got one for the Connecticut, South Bend and Clemson and they're all about the same. <laughs>
0: It has been gorgeous, and it makes me feel like college football is coming. And I've made a pact with my listeners. I make the prediction at the first of the month as to what I think is going to happen. I said on June 1st we're having college football, so we're talking like we're having college football, and I know that Tiger fans have been eating up those college football documentaries. Clemson's greatest games, you've been a feature of both the uh, June 6th version featuring the 2018 Syracuse victory by the Clemson Tigers. The June 13th version was the win. You called it uh, the greatest match matchup of quarterbacks in Clemson history as Deshaun Watson outdueled Lamar Jackson in 2016, but this week, a little bit of a blowout coming, the 56-7 victory over South Carolina in 2016, and uh, from the standpoint of being one of Clemson's greatest games, you know, there have been some legendary uh, victories by Clemson over South Carolina 63-17 back in 2003 really stands out for a lot of people but 56-7 to quite the dominant performance by the Tigers
4: yeah you know it's interesting it's almost like uh, Clemson fans uh, hold that 2003 game in in higher regard even though the game uh, that you uh, speak of the 56-7 to game was actually a larger margin of victory. Maybe it was because it was on the road, I guess, a 2003 game, and it was making a run. You know, it was just a surprising run at the end of the 2003 season after we started out 5-4, and four, had a loss by a large margin at Wake Forest, and miraculously beat Florida State when they were ranked third in the country, so maybe it was more that it was such a pleasant surprise. But, um, yeah, the 56-7 game was... Ended up being the final home game for Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and Wayne Gallman and Arteva Scott. And, um, you know, those guys had outstanding games. Deshaun uh, had had a big day throwing the ball. Mike Williams had three touchdown passes. I was surprised to research uh, at the time that uh, he was the first Clemson receiver to have three touchdown receptions. Any game in the in the history of the South Carolina a series, and of course, uh, one of them he kind of dragged a, a South Carolina defensive back with him. Uh,
0: yeah, whirling Dervish. Zone. Yeah, whirling Dervish into the end zone. Pretty impressive. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, Mike had a great year in 2015, which was remarkable considering he had that severe network net injury that he missed almost all of the 2015 um, season.
0: Yes, six touchdown passes in that game for Deshaun Watson as well, a 56-7 win by the Clemson Tigers. Uh, And and to think about, too, you know, you compared uh, the margin of victory in in that game versus the 63-17 game. I think the other thing that made that 63-17 game stand out so much to me was in addition to sort of making that late season run as Clemson would capping things uh, with a victory over Tennessee in Atlanta, but more so... Was the fact that I, the the gap between the two teams didn't seem nearly as large as it did during this fifty six to seven victory by the Tigers?
5: Yeah,
4: you're right. Yeah, that was the case going into the game in two thousand uh in, in three. But I guess that win gave Clemson an eight and four regular season you know record, and certainly didn't think they were going to get there after that Wake Forest game I talked about uh, earlier. And and you know South Carolina had. Had some good seasons under uh, under Coach Pulse Had consecutive bowl wins, I think, against Ohio State a couple yeah. of years uh, earlier than that. So, um, uh, you know, that certainly had you know something to to uh, to do with it also. But that was quite a dominating performance by Charlie Whitehurst. I remember him throwing four touchdown passes uh, in the uh, in the game and really was able to uh, make the correct decisions to pick on the South Carolina safeties and that game a lot of them were passes over the middle
0: well and you look at the Clemson Tigers and the, the run they've been on it's it's been just incredible I think for so many people and you know to think about where this program was when you arrived back in 1978 sort of making their way towards that first national championship in the uh, 1981 season from that standpoint media coverage and just the, the hype around Being in the college football playoff in 2016 and seeing it from that perspective as well, there wasn't a quote unquote definitive national champion, if you will. It was number one Clemson, number four Nebraska. You had those mixed uh, matchups where it wasn't always number one and number two because of conference affiliation. How much in your mind, Tim, did the college football playoff and the emphasis that went into a couple of games to get there and all of that change maybe the? I don't know if it's the the magnitude of of what those games mean, but was there a significant shift in your opinion?
4: Uh, do you mean um, the importance of the games in general on New Year's Day in 1981? Maybe not even today? that as
0: as much as how people saw it. I mean, there 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 was uh, even if Clemson wins the national title like they did in, in you know. January 1st of 1982 even if they win the championship that day there could still be debate there could still be people that would say no I think it was this team in this new era it sort of diminished that part of the the argument
4: yeah no you're you're right you're right you you could come to the end of the season um many many seasons and and have debates obviously there there have been 1997 I remember it was a split national uh championship 1991 there was a split national championship um so uh so you're right it, it now it made it for <laughs> interest you had a lot more uh interesting games uh you know on that one day on january 1st i remember my, my my last year at notre Dame. notre Dame was fifth in the ap poll going into the games of january 1st and jumped from fifth to first uh, wow. With all the things that happened, so you had a, so you had every one of those bowl games had an impact on what was going to happen, and of course, uh, the strange thing about it that young fans don't understand today: so we play uh, number one ranked Texas, beat them thirty eight to ten in a dominating fashion, but the game ends and it's like. Well, are we going to be number one or not? Do we win a national championship or not? And you don't know until the next day when the poll comes out. Um, now, at the time, for Notre Dame to win, it was a feeling that Arkansas had to beat Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl at night. And I remember going to a victory party at the hotel, a lot of fans and players, and we were all watching, you know, that game and cheering a Lou Holtz coached Arkansas team on to victory and that's what happened so when that happened we thought okay i think this is going to happen but you really didn't know until you got up the next uh the next day and i want to say it was like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning when everything had been totaled and they called and and said notre dame was number
5: one
0: well it's amazing because you do look at so many like even if you go back I, i don't know you know for whatever reason um the NCF is listed several times. I don't know if that's the national college football, you know, something. I, I'm not sure. But Foundation. The, the Foundation. In eighty-one, there's like Nebraska listed and Penn State and Pittsburgh and SMU and Texas, who was 10 1 and 1. I mean and all of these teams are listed as, I guess, quote with a little addendum, national champions in a season where Clemson's, I guess, the only major power undefeated team in the country when Danny Ford leads that team uh, to a 12-0 record and a 22-15 victory over Nebraska, who's also a team that's listed there below him. So it's just a a weird dynamic that no longer exists. I mean, now it is the one team and the one champion. And, of course, that really got kicked off during the uh, BCS era for a, a, a large degree. And they had, what, one debate there along with Southern Cal and I think LSU back in 2003 Uh, But for the most part, we've kind of been able to eliminate that postseason great debate that we would sometimes have where you might even have a couple of undefeated teams. I I just kind of wondered if the coverage of it from that standpoint was more significant because it's the definitive national championship game and not the, oh, well, maybe national championship game.
4: Uh, yeah, now I will say this, you know, you, you have those other things that our list. If you go in the NCAA media guide, it lists all these other things. But in 1981 and in other, in other seasons, really, it, you know, the national champion was regarded on either the AP or the UPI Bowl, the Riders Bowl or the Coaches Bowl. Now you can have the, uh, you know, other things that they had, like the MacArthur Bowl, went to the uh, national Football Foundation vote, there might have been another one by the Football Writers of America, but really nobody paid, paid much attention to those. It was either AP or, or UPI, and I, historically, when you consider when there's foot national champions, it's just between uh, whether there were two different teams in in um, in AP and 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 uh, UPI. You know, I know like um, Arkansas, I think uh, kind of. Um uh, says they won the national championship in
0: nineteen sixty four. Yeah, sixty four.
4: Yeah. Uh, but but I don't think they were the number one in AP or UPI. I think they were they were something else and they had a terrific team, but you know, really the media you know, centraled on on uh, A P and and uh, UPI.
0: Tim, as somebody who's followed sports as long as you have, do you think that the college football playoff era will at some point supersede everything else that happened in the past. And, and meaning, like if we look at the NFL, it's the Super Bowl era. Nobody cares about the world championships, how many of the sh- world championships the Chicago Bears have. Nobody cares. It's how many Super Bowls do they have. Are we potentially just at the cusp of looking at this thing in 20 years and nobody worries about Clemson's first national championship in 81, 82 outside of maybe Tiger fans, but really the focus becoming how many college football playoff championships do you have? Do you think that could ever be the case? No, I, no, I don't,
4: I don't think so. Now they may put uh, more, uh, you know, credibility in it because, it, you know, when you have the top four teams, um, you know, you really are deciding it on the field because to say that somebody else could have been deserving of the national champion in the given years, meaning they had to be fifth, you know, at the end of the conference uh, playoff season. So it's it's true that probably there's more more credibility in the national champions uh, uh, today, but you know, college football heritage is. You know what it is i mean i know what you mean by the super bowl right um but but you know people still revere Vince lombardi's green bay packer teams of the early 60s and there wasn't any super bowl then though they did win the first two super bowls but right (laughs) right you know but you know back in the back in the early 60s i know they won the nfl championship and you know if, if you watch uh the nfl network they certainly uh you know, give them their, uh, you know, their props. But obviously there is gray area from 1960 to 1965 because you did that of the NFL and the AFL and those two leagues did not play, you know, each other. I still think college is a little different. I still think Clemson's 1981 national championship team is held in high regard and, you know, in Clemson was the only undefeated team in the country that year. Right, had three wins over top ten teams. Penn State was the only other team in the nation that had three wins over top ten teams that year, but they lost forty eight to uh, fourteen. Uh, or no, that was excuse me. I take the back. They had a loss um, in there. Uh, Pittsburgh was the one that lost to uh, to Penn State forty eight to fourteen, but. But to answer your question how, overall, how no, I don't think that's I don't think that's I don't think that's gonna happen.
0: Tim Beret here dropping knowledge on the show that shakes the Southland. I think the other thing too, honestly, and and maybe this is just Clemson bias per se, just kind of knowing the program, but when you look at the teams with claim national titles, you know, of three or more, you're talking Clemson, Florida State, Florida. Minnesota, Texas, LSU, Nebraska, Miami, Ohio State, Southern Cal, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Alabama. That it, Clemson just feels like a, a bit of an outlier from the size of the town it's in. From the you know, I, I know Minnesota slides in there too because their titles are back in the thirties and forties. But just from the standpoint of not being a, a big city team, or maybe even what people would consider a big named school. Clemson just as an outlier amongst all of those programs, uh, simply by their name alone, in a lot of respects.
4: Well, I mean, I think uh, Abilene has done a lot to uh, to change that here in the last uh, eight or nine years. That might have been the case, um, you know, maybe a little bit before that, or before 1981, or in the uh, in the 70s. Um, you know, mostly because. Way, you know, back in the '60s, the ACC really suffered from an image standpoint because of the uh, 800 rule. And when the 800 rule came about, it really created an uneven um, playing field, so to so to speak, as far as being able to get <laughs> good players in. You can look at the list of bowl appearances in the '60s and, and early '70s. And I mean, there were. Many years the ACC didn't have anybody go to bowl games. I think there was a stretch of eight years in which only three ACC teams went to bowl games. Clemson annually would win the ACC championship with a six and four record because Coach Howard would schedule top ten teams outside the league. They lose all three of the games and they win the conference, and uh, (laughs) you know as a result it wouldn't be close to being ranked and wouldn't even get a bowl pit. Nineteen sixty six Clemson had a pretty good. Pretty good team, but they lost to Southern Cal, Georgia Tech, and I think Alabama outside the league. All three were top ten, you know, teams. So it hurt them in their chances to to get a bowl. But they, you know, went to the league. Uh,
0: with was that no? Uh, was right. that about the payday? I mean, would that be about just the money that you could get by playing? Yeah, those games?
4: well, yeah, yeah. You're right. It was because you got to remember, Coach Howard was the athletic director. In addition to being the coach, <laughs> right. he had to balance the budget. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you look at Clemson's non-conference schedule in the 1960s. I mean, Clemson went to Oklahoma. Clemson went to Southern Cal. Um, you know, we'd play Alabama, play Auburn, we'd play you know Georgia Tech, and that in those days was well, early in the 60s, they were an SEC team, and then they were independent but they were still you know in the uh in the top 10 and actually during that uh time in the in the late 60s is when uh coach howard actually scheduled the two games you know with notre dame when notre dame was one of the top programs in the country he didn't end up coaching against him but he he scheduled the games as the uh, as the athletic director
0: again legendary clemson sid tim Beret here on the show that shakes the southland and Tell you what, Tim, we got a little break coming up, but I want to keep you on for a few minutes because Danny Ford, you know, when I was growing up, Danny Ford, such a influential name in in Clemson sports history and and being a huge part of the success that they had when you first arrived there, et cetera. We'll talk about uh, the fact that Danny Ford was the youngest head coach to win a national title uh, back in 1981 and the significance of that and when you guys knew about it, but We'll get to all that coming up here on the program in just a few minutes. So here's what you can do. You can text us, 803-450-0086. 803-450-0086. I'll also encourage you, Clemson Tiger fans, uh, to send us questions that you'd like Tim to answer or things that you'd like to know about the program. Again, the text line, 803-450-0086. 803 450 86 again around the bend. We'll learn a little bit more about Danny Ford uh, and his becoming back in the 1981 82 season, uh, the youngest head coach to win a national championship in college football history. Tim Burray here each and every week chatting it up with us, taking a look back at some of the historical perspectives uh, on college football. Now, Going into that matchup with Nebraska in in 1981, obviously uh, all eyes on Clemson Tiger Nation were were following Danny Ford. Was it a conversation before the game that he could be the youngest head coach to win a championship, or did that storyline really develop after the matchup when people started to recognize that he was only, what, 33 years old at the time?
4: You know, it really didn't come about afterwards hmm. and, um, it, it, yeah um, you know we didn't have as many uh, you know like an ESPN research staff or, or, or whatever I mean it was now we did when he became the head coach mr. Bradley and I did research that he was the youngest head coach in the country and but it was the Atlanta Constitution after the season after he'd won the national championship Somebody at Atlanta it might have been Tony Barnard, I don't remember, but wrote a story how, you know, Coach Ford was the youngest and that I think the second youngest was Bud Wilkinson. And then behind that was, um, I was LSU's coach in 1958. who became South Carolina's
0: coach. Dietzel, so. maybe. Is it Dietzel or? Yeah. Uh, Paul Dietzel. Paul Dietzel.
4: Yeah. So those were the guys on the list that I think those are still the top, top three to this, uh, to this day, so uh, yeah, really, it wasn't until after the uh, game that uh, that became uh,
0: a uh, interesting storyline. Well, and the other storyline that I would ask, you... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
1: It's my
4: little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
4: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today
1: and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On that front of being in this non college football playoff era, you know, Texas beat number three Alabama, uh, Georgia had also lost to Pittsburgh. And Georgia was number two, by the way, for anybody that's asking. Is there any off chance that a number four Nebraska beating Clemson that the Tigers still could have been voted in one of the polls as the national champion? Or would that victory by Nebraska over Clemson have perhaps still been enough to vault them to not just number one, but ultimately number one in all the polls and in the eyes of everybody?
4: Yeah, no, we would have been, we would have been out. And um, and um, if you go back and watch the broadcast, you know the the uh, Georgia game against Pittsburgh ended before our game did. And so the last five minutes of the game, uh, when Nebraska was still kind of had a chance if they had gotten a stop and gotten the ball back, which they really didn't do until like ten seconds to go. You know, we took over the ball with I want to say or 48, something like that, and and we were able to hold the ball down to the last few seconds. And basically, the feeling was if, if Nebraska had won, uh, had beaten Clemson, you know, that this game was now for the national championship. Uh, so that was kind of the feeling for, towards the end of that uh, that game. So, yeah, no, I think I think I really do think that Nebraska would have been declared national champion if they had beaten See, and that's, Clemson, what, that's which, where
5: it's,
0: which, yeah. Go ahead.
4: I was going to say, which was amazing because, uh, you know, they had two losses. And that would have been the first two loss team in history to win the national uh, champion. Actually, the only two loss team now to win the national championship is LSU LSU? in uh, 2007, I think.
0: Well, and and, and that's why I kind of asked, I posed the question because, again, it's so, this is how it's so different for the young audience listening. I mean, back then. Clemson fans would have gone into this game thinking, hey, we can win the national title. Nebraska fans are thinking we can just steal Clemson's glory and maybe Georgia or Alabama wins the title at that point. I mean, it's, it's really a lot of things had to take place for Nebraska's mindset to shift. You just mentioned it, and that was what was taking place with you know Pittsburgh and, and Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Was, was Dan Marino, was he the quarterback of those Pittsburgh teams? Or is he already yeah. gone? He was the quarterback. No, yeah, he was a quarterback. Yeah. 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 It, and so um, from,
4: he was a freshman in 79, so he was actually only a junior. Uh, so, from
0: that standpoint, that, though, Tim, I mean, you mentioned it. Not just does that game change during the ball game, but from the Nebraska fans' perspective, all of a sudden they're in it. And I've got to imagine, too, we don't have cell phones in the stadium. So people aren't as abreast of what may be happening elsewhere. And unless that was announced at the game, there may have been a percentage of fans that had no idea what was on the line that were actually witnessing it.
4: Now they would announce scores, you know, quite a bit more than they do uh, today. Um, and I'll, I'll disagree with you from the standpoint that going into the game, I mean, it, like I said, it was a different deal on January one back in those days in the seventies and, and, that point in the in the uh, in the 80s because because there had been weird days where the dominoes had fallen as I just said 4 years previously okay. Notre Dame went from 5th to 1st. Right. So those Nebraska fans are thinking if we win and we just got to have two other dominoes you know fall got to have so some stuff I, happen so right. I, <laughs> yeah, so so it was a little bit more frequently that stuff could happen on the last day. So um I know I, know, I think they went into that you know they would going to that day, so um, I know I know I think they went into that. You know they were going into that game feeling, hey, we got a chance. We didn't have as good a chance as Clemson because Clemson was the situation. Clemson was really the only team on that day as win and we're in because we would have been the only undefeated uh, undefeated team, and we we had already we had beaten Georgia and we had beaten a top ten North Carolina uh, team. So so you know like I said, with three top ten wins out of the 12 games so you know we were in good shape
0: unbelievable breaking it down with tim beret you know looking up some of this stuff today i think one of the other things that really stood out to me just 16 bowl games back in uh 1981-82 just 16 It that what it was yeah uh, it, wow. it really meant something man when you went to a bowl game in those days you earned it
4: oh yeah in uh what is it now 40. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's a
0: lot. Yeah it's a lot. I was thinking lot. about sponsoring yeah. a bowl myself to be honest with you. I mean we're doing okay here at yeah. of Sports Talk. You never know we might put yeah. one together.
4: Yeah that's why you know from 48 to 59 you know coach Howard took us to I think six six bowl games in those times I and mean, that was a, that was a huge accomplishment uh because they're just you know, there were a lot less than that. It might have only been ten bowl games in uh, in you know in that era. So uh, that was that was quite an accomplishment for Coach Howard.
0: Tim, well, thank you for sharing your memories of, of Clemson's run to that '81 national championship and uh, sort of sharing the differences from that era to now. And you know, I'm kind of with you. I don't know that in the the I will say this in the minds eye of Clemson fans. I know that three national titles will not vanish. I don't know what it looks like in 20 years for everybody and how they view it. But for right now, it is pretty sweet where the Tigers are sitting. I know you got to be enjoying it. Absolutely. Tim, can't wait to catch up with you uh, next week. Hit them straight today, my man. Hey, Tiger fans. It is the show that shakes the Southland, Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan, good to be with you here on the Thursday. Thanks to Tim Bray for doing a couple of segments with us. And he's heading out to the golf course to take a couple of hacks at it this afternoon. That's one thing I haven't done in a while. You know, my golf clubs were stolen several years ago. When I say several, I mean like 12. (laughs) And I just, I don't know. I just, well, first off. I didn't file it with the insurance company because it was not something that I noticed I was missing initially, and so from that standpoint, uh, I just kind of just kind of let her go. But I appreciate Tim Bray joining us because I didn't realize that my golf clubs were gone until much later, and I I doubt. I get the sneaky feeling that I i doubt anybody would let me uh, claim that now, so we just don't. Nonetheless, got a bit of a surprise coming up for you here on the show this afternoon. You know the name, you know the voice, you may or may not know the face, but uh, we're gonna get hooked up with our good buddy uh, Lowell here on the show this afternoon, I do believe, and Lowell hope you're doing well my man what's going on brother how are you
5: Lowell realest chance in the room how are you doing
0: hey man listen uh, uh uh you're a sore for sight eyes Lowell
5: what's going on buddy oh nothing man same old same old you know I've been staying busy working throughout all the craziness so nothing's really uh nothing's really changed for me. Yeah, I, I hear you've had some changes at the studio,
0: though. Well, if if you buy my guest bedroom studio, then yes, we've had some changes. But I'm loving it. I'll be honest with you; um, it's 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 been really good, and uh, I like the fact that my commute. You know, as soon as the show ends, I'm home at 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 five fifty seven in the p.m. So nothing wrong with it. But you know, we haven't caught up with you in a, a month, maybe two months. Uh, As far as college football, I've been very positive about having a season up until, oh, say about an hour ago when I saw Dr. Anthony Fauci say that essentially if we had a football season, the players would have to live in a bubble. And it kind of made me feel like maybe since I'm not the expert, I should be paying attention to what he's saying.
5: Yeah, you know, I think the last time we talked we were, we were having the discussion about whether we thought there would be a football season, and I think we both were, you know, kind of skeptical about whether or not it was going to happen. And, um, you know, it does kind of feel like they're trending towards going ahead and trying to have a football season. Um, what that's going to look like, I don't know. It, it, this is really unprecedented. Um, and so, trying to navigate a football season while a pandemic's going on, and what's it going to look like as far as fans go? I know uh, uh, Clemson has said they're going to try and have fans in some capacity. Yeah. But it, it's 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 strange, man. I I don't know how it's really going to shake out. I do think they're going to go ahead with a football season, but. You know, we may have to shut this thing down in October or November if it comes back in a second wave and gets bad again.
0: Yeah, I tell you, I think a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there are concerned about that, and that's what I said yesterday. That was kind of my that was my stance yesterday. Was I could foresee a season where a team on your schedule has a major breakout of COVID nineteen, and then they they aren't playing anymore, and so you've got an additional open date and what would that do if you have an unbalanced schedule from the standpoint of some teams playing 12 regular season games and maybe others only having 10 on their schedule because of covid-19
5: <laughs> what what does that do when you're comparing resumes right. for both playoff
0: exactly and i mean and look for people they'll say oh man you you guys you got so much time until you get there the Atlantic Coast Conference put out a, a you know a, a press release earlier today, and you can go to clemsonsportstalk and check that out. Uh, the uh, ACC kickoff is going to be conducted virtually. We'd already seen the SEC uh, announce that news as well. So those are events that were taking place in the the back half of July now shelved for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, I don't know, man. It's it's one of the things that I think we're going to have to adjust to. Everything is going to be virtual for a while.
5: Uh, it's, it's not all bad. I You know, I, I kind of like some of the virtual stuff, but I <laughs> the, the impact on, <laughs> you know, I don't have to go into the office as much, so that's fun. but the impact in terms of sports is just enormous because there is no, I mean, there are virtual sports, esports, you know, but yeah. there's no... Like, you, there's no way to play a football game virtually unless you're just going to have Clemson and Ohio State lock up on NCAA 14 to determine who wins the national championship. Oh,
0: God, no. <laughs> Say it ain't so. But tell me this. I mean, one of the, the big question marks is fans and fans in the stands. And I know that Dan Radakovich was talking yesterday, feeling like they were going to go ahead with uh, getting people into to Death Valley for these ball games. But I, I just wonder – if fans end up not being able to attend, if that ends up being the line that we have to draw on this thing, can they make up for the lost revenue at the ticket office by what they would recoup in ad dollars because everybody is now tuning in to watch these things? I would imagine we would have record-setting uh, television viewership of football games if that were the case.
5: Well, do you know – and? I, I've thought about this what I think would be incredible is you could sell like um, almost like sideline passes or, um, or you know like kind of lower lower deck tickets or whatever but like sell it virtually but you like put them like a microphone in each seat so that they can they can wear, like, a virtual headset or something and kind of be in the stadium yeah. and be able to make noise on third down. Um, I think that would be amazing. A, a interactive VR where you're still there, you're still making noise without physically being there.
0: Lowell, you might be on to something, my man. Listen, take care of yourself, brother. It's always good catching up with you. And can't wait to get you back on the show. All right, brother. There he is, Lowell, the producer extraordinaire, hanging out with us for a few minutes here on Clemson Sports Talk. Final segment coming up. Don't forget programming. Note we are off the air all next week. Stay with us. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history.
1: Lucky for us at Clemson, the answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately and what have you done always, are the same.
0: Segment on a Thursday afternoon, Lawton Swan hanging out with you here. The show that shakes the Southland, Clemson Sports Talk again. Good catching up with my buddy L-O-W-E-L-L. Bada boom, he's in the room. Lowell, the producer extraordinaire. It's been far too long. We need to get him on the show more often. Again, we are off all next week. I, I really think I may have only mentioned it once the first three days of the week. So just letting you know. We're off all next week. Don't be uh, don't be wondering what happened to us. Well, you can wonder what happened to us, but just know we're giving you an advance notice. That's where we are. Again, your website, com. We won't be completely uh, off the grid, though. There will still be updates over there, and we've got articles and insight and analysis. Man, it's even though there's not much going on, it's still very busy because we've done so many interviews, and we're trying to get those out to you as well, again, over on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. So earlier I mentioned the display at Clemson that is so impressive. And, you know, from the standpoint of Clemson and what they've done, you know, being able to really set themselves apart from a a lot of the teams uh, and a lot of programs around the country by their facilities, there is a new... I don't know, I guess a display is what you would call this, kind of highlighting Clemson's national championships and their their runs to the college football playoff. But I think what's most impressive about it, in all honesty, uh, is how real to life the mannequins look that are dressed in these Clemson uh, uniforms. So I'll try to show you that. And see, you can see Isaiah Simmons there, Trevor Lawrence. You got Cleveland Farrell. You got uh, Hunter Renfro. And, I mean, they've done a good job just with the accessories. And, again, we retweeted this. We retweeted this, um, I guess, yesterday afternoon. Tyler Grisham, Clemson's new wide receiver coach, put it out. But I'll even show you there. You can see a little Deshaun Watson. Looks like a little uh, Mylon Richard over there. And so, I mean, just incredible how from the the whether it's the arm sleeves that they've got them wearing to how they're taped up, maybe even a, a subtle little touch like the towel there for Trevor Lawrence. But this display of the college football playoff history and legacy of Clemson. I think if you are walking into Clemson's facility as a recruit and you see that, it, it resonates pretty well. You know, the other thing they did, too, here, and it's subtle, but I want you to notice the height. You know, the, the guys like Hunter Renfro and, and Travis Etienne, maybe that's Wayne Gallman, uh, I'm not sure. I don't see anything that would definitively tell me like a certain... Arm sleeve or anything, but from that standpoint, you look at it and you go, That there's so much that they put into those to make them look like the players. Like I can see the athletes that aren't in these mannequins in the mannequin. So if you didn't get a chance to see that, head over to our Twitter account when you get time, never while you're driving. Okay, you know the rules. Or go back and watch this video. Hopefully it came across okay over on Facebook, YouTube, and or Twitter. uh, If you got a chance to watch it there. But man, just another little, uh, a subtle update. But it really goes a long way. And I don't know, you know, I've, I've, when you look at the success that Clemson's had, and and I don't think anybody believes it's going to slow down anytime soon. I, I think that if you start to think about, man, you get another one of these, you got to keep adding to this stuff. I that That's the problem, right? It's like, you. it's almost you become like a hoarder. Clemson's a hoarder of college football success right now. And you, you, look, my house, X amount of square feet, I only have so much room before I have to start giving away college footballs and things of that nature. Before I have to start giving away Clemson sports talk T-shirts, etc. You know things like that. These giveaways that we've got going on over on our Facebook page. is kind of like that, right now on the gridiron. All the success. Oh, Gamecocks are like gag, <laughs> barf. So I don't like it. I don't want to hear that. Makes me want. Makes me want to throw up. I I respect you. I know. I know. You wanna you wanna you wanna barf. I get it. Here's the thing. Taking a look at it all, from that standpoint, no matter how much it punches you in the gut, and this is a, a thing that I think Clemson fans are recognizing that, man, there's so much. Like and again, the confusion. I, I hate this. I didn't even get a chance to talk with Tim Murray about this. We've talked about this since day one with you know the twenty fifteen season team that played in the twenty sixteen national championship game. That actually lost to Alabama, but won in the 2017 national championship game. What was the 2016 national championship? And you've got all these, you've got all these uh, displays in Death Valley with the year you are in the college football playoff. In 20 years, people are you think you're confused today? Just wait, just wait. Wait about 20 years, people will look up there and go. Now, did they win the title in the 2016 college football playoffs? No, son. That was the 2017. But I thought they were the 2016 champs. Yeah, they were. 2016 and 2018, kid. We got a great graphic coming up over on social media a little bit later when we tweaked uh, just earlier today from the merger of the NFL in 1966 by comparison to AP champions in college football. It is crazy. We got to get out of here. Until tomorrow, as always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers!